Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. At the behest of my two kids, I'll be discontinuing my attempts at Simpson-esque fictitious podcast intros a la Troy McClure, R.I.P. Phil Hartman. Instead, hi, I'm your host, Jose Puchella, and welcome back to the second episode of Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, bringing you the audio equivalent of the special features on a DVD. In this series, dedicated to the fourth film by Heath Davis, entitled Christmas. Once again, I'm joined by sometimes high school English teacher, all-the-time filmmaker, storyteller, husband, father, son, and the Holy Spirit of Christmas. Keith Davis. Hello, sir, and how are you faring on this crisp autumnal eve? Uh, lovely. This, we, we made it back for a second week. So, yes. Um, I've never been invited back to things before, <laughs> ever. So, it's, it's, uh, it's all very new and exciting. So, uh, yeah, we're feeling pretty good. I've, uh, I've just got a lovely 18 year old Scotch on ice um, after a lovely day of being Mr. Mom. So, um, yeah, it's a good time to get me, and the heat is on, so it's uh, lovely. Feeling like very cinematic viewing kind of weather. What I wanted to do is before we crack on, I'm just going to get some housekeeping out of the way. Uh, so neither Heath or I endorse gambling, but if you enjoy a punt, then back yourself a guaranteed winner at www.indiegogo.com forward slash projects forward slash Christmas hashtag. And if you've listened to the first episode and enjoyed the show as much as Heath enjoyed the idea of strapping a GoPro on a gorilla then please subscribe, like the podcast, and leave a review. It really does help out. Last episode, you mentioned you were having a table read. That was on last Friday. Um, I just wanted to know, was that the first table read with all the cast, and how did that go? Uh, yeah, it was. For Well, we have essentially three lead characters in this film. So there's a lot of, um, you know, the characters engaging in the home and, and sitting around talking and, all those, you know, having those big DMs that happen at Christmas time in your own home. So we emulate a lot of that, um, but we've just got some very interesting characters that um, juxtapose each other. So there's lots of drama. So it's kind of like a, it's a little bit of Big Brother at Christmas, but with interesting characters and a plot. So there's a little little bit of that. So it made sense to have the table read. And um, we're, it was probably a little bit earlier than I would normally do it, but um i like because i'm a, it's there's a few things that i wanted to do with the draft but i like to i like to get the actors sort of thinking about character um as early as possible because this as i said last time i'm not a huge rehearser i really a lot of rehearsal is conversation um and just trying right. to get into that DNA and into the skin of the character as much as possible so and that's a lot of building trust and um, confidence and having big conversations, you know, about the meaning of life, all of these big questions, those existential questions that we ask each day. Uh, the sub In the subtext of this movie, in the script, the subtext, all these things are raised. So that's why those conversations, which you don't always get with actors on big budget movies, actors often sign on the day before and just turn up and, and they're pros and they deliver their lines, but that's all you get is, you know, the meat and potatoes. So um, I've always been a guy that, you know, wants a little bit of gravy on his meat and potatoes. So uh, that's why I kind of cast early and work with the actors. So the table read essentially was a lot for me as well as it was for the characters 
for the actors in terms of characterization. So that's what we're really focusing on. And there's a lot of ideas that I had for the next pass. Right. And I sort of proposed them as we went, but we're just like, we're just reading this. You're not performing it. The actors, you know, we're just getting the flow of things, dissecting things. And it just, it's always nerve wracking. A lot of filmmakers avoid them at all costs. And I know in Hollywood <laughs> land on big budgets, um, a lot of producers avoid the table read because they can be, they can go south because everybody's cold. They're picking it up. Sometimes it's good scripts that are really visual, don't read so well um, because right. they're, remember, it's a screenplay, so they're designed to be executed visually. So yes. sometimes those things can can actually end disastrously. And I've read a lot of stories about a film that was going with actors attached and a table read went cold and films were falling apart. So for the creator and the writer, uh, you know, it's nerve-wracking because you're throwing it out there and it's the first time you're hearing it back um and there's no tricks no camera no sound design no score it's just a raw read through um but when they work it instills a lot of confidence in everybody and i'm happy to report that it worked probably better than i anticipated um the chemistry and that's the thing that you're trying to create and a lot of it's happy accidents to get the chemistry between the, the performers. The chemistry was palpable via Zoom. So we all did it online. Um, right. And it was it just really works. The casting is great. And uh, even Hannah, first time yes. she's ever done a table read before, was right. so good. You know, and these people just speaking the lines and bringing themselves to it. And I could just see it. And, and yeah, we were laughing and there were some real chill moments. Even Hannah was saying, watching Steve and Susan have their moments together and just reading it. Um, it was just sort of jumping off the page. And it reads really well. I thought it did. There's some great dialogue. So in a table read, when you, you've got a wordy kind of mumble core script, mm. they, they, go, they often work. So you know where the, what the areas are um, that need enhancing. But, yeah. It probably, and some of the ideas that I proposed, I realised probably a couple of them weren't necessary. And some of the things that I'd read flagged and thought, ah, this could maybe go either way, kind of worked. So, and then what was cool is the actors had all their input as well and we worked on things. And there's just a real good kind of shorthand here. Everybody gets it, you know. So um, that's a good place to be. It got me excited. I really sort of turned that off and at the end of the two hour read and I just was had the chills and I got that shot in the arm again, which is why I make films. You sort of forget because the process can be long and arduous, like crowdfunding is no fun for anybody or <laughs> yeah. going into the accountant and lawyer's office yesterday with a producer. That's never any fun. Either. That's all the clinical <laughs> stuff. And then, but when you see your words come to life with the performers and that's it. That's just the juice, man. And then you just go, this is why I'm doing it. So I'm feeling pretty confident. That's beautiful because it does. It reminds you. Totally does. Yeah. What you're achieving here. And I could see it on their faces too. And it was really cool. It was really cute. It was like really intimate and shared moments. And we all sort of got off the Zoom and, and we weren't in the flesh. Usually the tabories are in person. So they're even more, um, you know, personable. But 
on Zoom, we were on Zoom and everybody got off and started texting each other saying, how great was that? That was so great. And and yeah, I, I said to them, I sounded silly, I said, I could have just got the camera and recorded some of these moments and they would have worked, you know. So, wow. the, yeah, the emotions there, the honesties there, the feels, they're, and they're real. Um, and the humor's there, which is great. And um, the pacing felt felt good. So that's a good place to be in. I know where we can enhance it. I know where we can um, cut back a little bit, but there's less kind of cutting um, than, I, than I had imagined. And some of the ideas that I thought, um, you know, and we – it's, it's a democracy and the other guys were like, no, no, I really like that. So it's always good to have people that are like-minded wanting the best for the film. And when you've got an idea and you're just on the fence about it and you propose it in the right form and they endorse it, you kind of go, okay, that's cool. You know, I think this is good. I just needed the right people to support it. And, and you know, but that's how we work because we all want to make the best film possible. And it definitely sounds like you've you've managed to bring that together with this. I wanted to go back to mentioning that you identified yourself as an Apian lad. Um, what suburb exactly did you grow up in, Western Sydney? Wow, I grew up in a few suburbs. I grew okay. up. Um, when you say grew up, is where you live, but then there's the places where you start to go out and start to work in and things. So sure. But in my sort of adolescence, I grew up in Mount Druid. Everybody made a a thing of pulling an old Mount Druid. It wasn't just part of Mount Druid as a whole. And Mount Druid right. as a whole, um, we share the one zip code, but Mount Druid's a big area. You've got all these sub-towns within it, um, and they all used to you know, get pigeonholed in the one town. So uh, I grew up there, and that was, you know, a lot of my stories come from there. I really enjoyed where I grew up. People were real, and it was, every day was an adventure. And I didn't even realize that we weren't that wealthy. I guess it was just like a regular working class town, but um, I often just thought everybody lived like that. So it was only when I started going out on school excursions and things to the city and see where other people lived, I was like, oh, wow, people live around here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, um, I won't complain. Uh, then we moved to one more park, which is Penrith, it was a new estate when I was 16. So for my senior years, I went to right. St. Mary's Senior High School. Um, and when I name dropped St. Mary's Senior High School now to uh, my private school boyfriends, they think it's another private school. But I'm like, no, 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 the suburb St. Mary's in between Blacktown <laughs> and Penrith, um, it's not private. It's very public. Uh, look, and so look, at what age did you kind of realize the arts and filmmaking storytelling is what you really wanted to get into? I actually know the exact moment because I was a pretty good athlete um, right. was, as a kid and everybody, that's what you did out there. Um, but I always loved movies. And I used to feign being sick as a primary school kid because there was a midday movie on it and I wanted to watch it. So I used to have to pretend I was sick and it was the only way you could stay home and watch movies. We had no Netflix then. We had no anything. Absolutely. Didn't even have a video player. We just knew what was coming on and I always wanted to watch this, some films that were on at midday and I'd be like, oh, I'm sick. Um, and then I remember I went to the state for 200 metres. I was a really good 200 metres runner and 100, but 200 was my thing. And I remember my friends were going to watch a movie. They'd come to watch. And if I'd made... If I'd actually made the finals, this was the heat, I'd have to stay there all day and I would have missed the movie. So I ran <laughs> like a busted so I could go with my mates to what's born on the 4th of July. You probably got a PB just I running did, to and the I was film. like, my parents were 
doing at me? And I was like, what? This is what you're working on? I just wanted to go and watch a film. That's brilliant. So that was about then when I realised this is what I love. And I just didn't know um, it was possible. I just had, where I grew up, there was, you know, that just wasn't a thing. But I always, even in primary school, it was creative writing. I always, I was always writing, but my, my stuff had um, was really strong on imagery and characterization, even now. Right. Um, and to the point, like you'd have primary school one hour creative writing. I would, my stories continued for months. They were ongoing. And I used to go around to all the other classrooms and read the next chapter of my stories. And the teachers would stick stickers on my creative writing uh, book. And I remember one of the stories was called On the way to center point uh, as a story uh, about my family and the trials and tribulations of getting to center point tower from Mount Druitt. Um, and it was war torn because my dad was a Vietnam veteran and right, okay. I grew up on a staple diet of war films because he'd get them from the video store and allow me to watch things that I shouldn't. A lot of Chuck Norris. Oh yes. And some good ones too. Yeah. I could spell bazooka. Uh, probably can't even spell it now, to be honest. But <laughs> in year two, I, I I knew Arsenal like weaponry, like no man's business. Yeah, I get so, it. yeah. So it, it was all from there, um, to be honest. And then I had some friends who were older than me that uh, had been to film school and made short films. And I went to this short film fest. I was like what short films started coming on TV? One was on Eat Carpet. I think it was like ABC had a show. Yes, yes. Carpet. And then they, there was like this film festival thing. I was like, what? You can make short films? And they're like, and they were on film too. Like this was no digital video quality back then. And it was like expensive stuff, just eight mil stock and 16 mil. And, yeah. and so then I was like, oh, my God, you can actually write stuff. Because I was writing scripts that were just for pleasure, to be honest, because I really didn't love where I grew up. and for many reasons, but I sort of escaped either at the cinema or in the worlds that I created on the page. And I still, and I'd get lost in those worlds and I still kind of do to this day. Um, Sorry, he can I ask, cause I, what I really, um, I've loved what you've been saying. And I just wanted to know, cause you were mentioning, you know, you grew up in a diet of um, war films, but do you remember the first movie you ever saw in a cinema? The first film I kind of have, um, like images in my head yes. that I recall. Um, and we had a, a local cinema, Mount Druitt Hall. Mount Druitt Hall was this community hall, but in, they had movies on. Some guy went around and put a screen up and mostly in the holidays and you could go there for like a dollar and watch a movie and get a box of Jaffas. So we what went. Champion. And saw, yeah, we went there and I remember watching BMX Bandits ah. um, as one of the films and I wasn't really into it, but I was in, I was into the forum of sitting with people and watching. Um, and then I also remember Raiders of the Lost Ark because of the big ball chasing me um, yes. and Ghostbusters. But Raiders of the Lost Ark was a big one because I think it was the first time we went as a family to watch the movies because I was always too young. And my older brothers, I got two. My mum and dad would take them. And I remember they went to go and watch Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars and I was too little um, and I hated that. Uh, but 
I think Raiders of the Lost Ark was the first one I really remember. And the opening of the big, you know, ball running and Indiana Jones running from it, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, and fantasy adventure is not my thing. I'm really still not huge on it. But they were great films back then. So great characters. And I just remember, wow, you know, um, what this thing was. It was stayed with me for a long time. Did that feel like a before and after moment in your life? Um, not so. Well, it just felt like I loved the worlds that was created and um, right. I used to sort of escape in them. Um, and I liked reading books as a kid and, and picture books too. But, yeah, it felt like, oh, wow, there's this thing called movies. But um, it was like the indie movement. And then I discovered 70s films when i become a teenager um, the war films my dad put me on because some of them are really strong on character. Um, yes. I started to get understanding of like method acting and method acting and not all of them um, are fantasy adventure. They were real. Um, and yeah. so then that that's the sense of realism came through those, but the sense of possibility came through, um, you know, early 90s, the Sex Lies and Videotape, the Reservoir Dogs, yeah. Clerks, they were a big deal for me. I remember Clerks and the Kevin Smith fan base and there were some films like that and Brothers McMullen, those early Sundance films. Independent films become cool. They didn't cost me a lot to make. People sought them out. And I was, you know, just in senior high school, um, senior school, and it was at the same time when music was going for the grunge movement. So Nirvana was on the yes. Like people were seeking out these artists and being indie was cool. Like anti-establishment was the thing. Like back then, Marvel was a nut. Like nobody would want a Marvel film, but that wasn't cool. No. I wanted to know, because we've heard you explain you were never really one for sappy Christmas flicks hence your interpretation of your Christmas movie. So, But do you have a favourite Chrissy film or maybe even more than one? Well, I actually love, I like reunion movies, okay? Um, and I kind of classify Christmas movies as reunion movies. I love stories about people that have been away and forced to come back and connect again. Um, that's all right. The setting of those films have always... I've always been attracted to them, um, whether it was The Big Chill, whether it was Home for the Holidays. I love, And I'm not American, but I love Thanksgiving movies because they bring people together and yes. people are often have got to, uh, the people that are close to you, you overcome your differences, but you, you sort of got to pretend to be this family and love one another when you've got all this animosity and there's just a tussle and some sort of drama at the core of all of these things. So um, I've always been interested in that dynamic of putting people together and reconciling and, and you know, acceptance and, and all those things. So, so this human connection is probably the core of most of the things that I make. And Christmas is probably, I don't know, the epitome of a human connection story setting because that's what we do. We all come together and we open up yeah. and we share and we surprise and we give and forgive, all these sort of things. It's beautiful. That's what we live for and that's what we all crave. So there hasn't been enough of them that have been made realistically. So, But I've always liked, um, you know, I love, 
I always watch Scrooge with Bill Murray uh, <laughs> yeah, every year. Um, and the end, if put a little love in your heart, I you know, always singing that. And there's a few parts of that movie where I really love, and then it sort of starts to lose its way a bit. Um, I love, you know, Groundhog Day's got Christmas in its in its in it as well, but even though it's not technically a Christmas film. Um, yeah, we'll yeah, accept I, even anything Christmas thing yeah, or me touching Christmas. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like, as I said, I like, oh, like Die Hard for an action film, brilliant. And it's, <laughs> Absolutely. it's a family, it's a family story, even for the villains, it is. you know. So, um, that's I watch that every year. That's a great film. My partner loves Love Actually. I've tried a lot, and I'm a Richard Curtis fan. Um, some stories I like, some not so much. Um, so there's a lot of sort of misses like this the few and far between the good ones but you know even as a family i like the christmas film because the family gets together and we watch something and we laugh which is you know christmas vacation chevy chase like everybody loves those films Um, absolutely and and every john hughes movie feels like Mm -hmm. a christmas movie to me so yes um you know whether it was home alone that chris columbus directed but even yes Things like Planes, Trains and Automobiles ends at Christmas and those films. I always loved these 80s films because they had such great heart, such great characters, and we've never really done that in Australia. And then we don't do it lately. I don't know. I, I, just, um, I just think it's, it's, it's a setting that needs to be depicted. And I'm not saying this is going to be the best Christmas movie ever, um, but it's, a, it's, it's an area um, that I feel like it's terrain that I'm, I'd be pretty capable of exploring. And um, and I've always sort of, I've actually always wanted to like Christmas movies more than the ones that I've actually been forced to sit through or wanting to hope. There's been a lot of hope around a Christmas film, but never really um, anything um, that I've, you know, liked. So I always thought John Cusack could be in a Christmas movie, but um, never did it. I think you've phrased it perfectly. A lot of hope around Christmas movies. Um, look, and just before we go on, I, I do want to ask, because I'm going to end this here on the Christmas questions, but when you were growing up, did you have any any impromptu games of Chrissy Day Cricket with a wheelie bin stump? Or Mate, can I tell you about our ultimate Christmas? Yeah, um, go for it, please. Every Christmas, this is the beauty of growing up, what we did in Mount Drew. I, I wouldn't change it because there's some really great mates and we're adventurous and we didn't know what we didn't have and we we're very grateful for anything that we got. We used to play night cricket. So religiously, every Christmas Eve, all the kids in the neighbourhood would get to our front yard. The parents would be at someone's house drinking. Um, the kids would come, all my brothers and all our extended mates, we'd have two teams and everyone would bring a floodlight from their home and we would light up our streets. We'd have cables running at everyone's house. Uh, homeowners would put their all their lights on, their car lights on for us, and we would play night day-night crickets. We'd start in the afternoon. It would go till the wee hours of the morning until our parents wow. said that's enough. So it'd be like 3 or 4 a.m. We'd paint the tennis ball white also, and we played night cricket because it was really hot, right, Christmas Eve. Yes. And... Everyone would like bring their presents and we'd get music each year. So that our parents would let us open up our albums. So we'd blast the stereo up with like Barnstorming by Jimmy Barnes or something. Oh, and yes. 
we would have night cricket. So it was like the best. And all the main every year, man, I really miss that still now. Everyone would come, we'd have two teams and we'd just all just play and it was beautiful. Wow, that that is yeah. beautiful. And it's something that, you know, unfortunately really can't be re what's the word I'm looking for? We recreated. can't replicate it. Yeah, recreate it. Unfortunately, there's a generation that will miss out on that altogether. Yeah, we didn't have anything. That was yeah. that's brilliant. And so I guess from the floodlights, you know, mm-hmm. uh, playing cricket, it wasn't that much of a leap, really, when you go to floodlights on a night shoot, because it sounds like you're almost transitioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So very, very similar. The last question I have to ask, because um, I've got a story regarding this, but um, I try not to share a lot of my stuff because this is really about the filming yourself. Um what age did you realize or discover that Santa wasn't real? You know what? I always had a pretty good bullshit radar. Um, and I kind of, when you have older brothers, you just sort of work yeah. it out. It's like no one ever taught me the birds and the bees, but you just sort of worked it out after a while because um, somebody lagged and you heard and one kid's in the neighborhood told you and you'd be like, oh, that doesn't kind of make sense. But I remember waking up and seeing the presence and going, oh. And then one year I woke up and I saw the presence come in and I was like, hold on a second. Mum and dad were talking to like my brother about what he wanted for Christmas. And <laughs> they ended up getting the right model. And I was looking for the I was like, that can't, that's a bit <laughs> sus, like, you know, and it was all last minute. And it was a special, and then I kind of put two and two together and I went, ah. But then I didn't really care. I was like, it doesn't really matter exactly. because the presents are here and whatever, and I had the fun. You just, it's funny. You just sort of get over it and you move on. And you go, oh, yeah, it's good. We had a good time while it happened. But, um, yeah, it was one of those things. You sort of, as a kid, you just sort of move on. You had a lot of resilience here and, ah, well, whatever. Parents are lying to me again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just get used to it, kid. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then you just, as long as you got your presents, you're like, yeah, whatever. Exactly. It. And then, you know, it becomes a question of you realise it's a symbol and it's the spirit really. Yeah. And totally. it's everything that's tied into that, you know, with, like it's, you said, bringing everyone together. Yeah. Um, it was the imagination. And family. Yeah. It's a character. That's just like, you know, bring the imagination, bringing it to life. I love all of that. If we didn't have any of that escape, then life would be pretty boring, you know? So Absolutely. Look, and speaking of Santa's AKA, um, Steve LeMacan and AKA your shopping center, Santa in this film, I really just wanted to know, do you recall when you first crossed paths with Steve and what was his first audition like? Well, I was a fan of Steven's for a long time and I actually was friends and am still good friends with his sister. So believe right. it or not, I was teaching English at a school in Penrith, Penrith High and Emma, Stephen's sister, was also teaching English at Penrith High with my old, an old teacher of mine who taught me, um, and Emma Lamarckin. And I was like, Lamarckin, so you're not related to Steve. Yeah, he's my brother. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I really like Steve. He'll in this two hands and he'll in last yeah. train of Frio. And he's, yeah, yeah, I like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. I said, I make short. Yeah, she goes, oh, yeah. So she knew I was making some short films and we sort of connected. And, and I remember I was like, and that was after I had a, a big disappointment. Um, and then I went off to overseas to try and get this film made and I'd come back yes. and then I, I'd actually reconnected with Emma. She'd heard about my stories and how the slog and 
I was like, you know what? I'm thinking of just going back to doing what we could do with our short films. And I actually want to write something for Steve. She said, you should. He's totally doesn't care about any of this. He's just loves a good story, good role. And he's just, you know, and I'd heard a lot about of that about him through mates I'd made my short films with, but I'd never worked yes. with Steve. Um, and I was like, I'm going to write something for him. And, you know, I'll just give it to him. She goes, do it. And she's like, I'll tell him. And that's sort of how it happened. I didn't audition him because I knew he could do it and I wrote it. Yeah, right, um, right. We become Facebook buddies through Emma and I just went, hey, man, Emma, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm going to write you a script and would you read it if I yeah, when it's done? He goes, yeah, go for it. Um, and then I did. And then, I don't know, it takes him a little while to read, a week or two or ten, something like that. Um, and he's like, dude, really love it. It's great. Let's do it. And I was like, that's pretty damn cool, you know? So Absolutely. Um, and that's how a lot of my friends make films in, in like the indie movement in like Portland and New York and even in LA. It's like it's relationships with the people and get, not having the agents and all that sort of stuff. It's like relationships are just so essential because you go to war to make the film together and it's you and the artist. It's not all the baggage and the middleman and the managers. They're yeah. not even on set. They never come. They just want their <laughs> make sure the contract's done so they get their commission. Like, so... They don't care about any of that. Their final outcome, they never call you up and say you did a great job or a bad job or how did it go today. Like Nobody knows that. You're in war together. So you've got to yeah. have the right buddy who's got your back because you're both in it together. You know, it's a team. Yeah. The team doesn't win. team doesn't gel. You're never going to win. So, um, But Steve's a team player. Not everybody is. Um, and that's sort of how it works. And he's, he's he, a lot of, a lot of him is the reason why I've sort of, you know, I do make films the way I do. And I, I get, you know, I'm a bit of a maverick and a trailblazer. It's like this, cause there's other people out there that'll join you on the journey. Um, so he's a soul brother. There's not a lot of them, but that's, there's enough. that's beautiful. Mm. And that film that um, obviously the script you're, you're talking about there was for broke. That's right. Now showing on Netflix and all the other streamers that are evil. Absolutely. Evil called. Um, just kidding. I um, love your Netflix. <laughs> they're, ne they're a necessary evil. How's that? <laughs> yes, maybe. We hope we can get um, Steve on at some point. I think it'd be great to hear his side of uh, the relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, he'd totally be down for it. Loves talking about himself. So. <laughs> He's an and, actor, man. It, <laughs> and look, and I guess that's so that was the beginning of the now fully bloomed bromance uh, between you guys. And I guess so from long hats to swinging ponies long santa hats should i say to swinging ponytails what i'm heading down to is i really want to hear this steven seagull story if you can share it with uh, us well i was thinking about it after i mentioned it i was like oh my god i could get in trouble you're gonna get this. in trouble okay no nah, well i'll just give you a, a little redacted version of sure of what i would know through maybe maybe i saw it maybe other people saw it was it he say could have been who knows? Yeah. It was a long time ago. But um, there's a few things. Conjecture sustained. Yeah. <laughs> when I lived in Vancouver working on films and whatever in any capacity, uh, make a lot of films there, make a lot of bad films. Steve Seagal was in many of them. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, they'd make films in two weeks for like a certain budget and he'd take a million bucks and I'd have 500 to make the film. Like crazy wow. stuff. And he'd probably in phone in the, uh, he'd just phone in the acting on the day. I remember going to watch him play at our bar around the corner. One of his things, he's more interested in just playing his bad guitar than acting <laughs> in his bad movies. But he'd make his crew and 
podcasts all come and watch him play and sit through his horror shows. So very interesting cat. But that was the experience of um, working on all the, the beauty of working on those things, which were painful because there's some really like passionate people who just need the jobs in crew working on these films that are just service jobs that just like fast food films and they were just so jaded because they were treated badly. Nobody cared about them. They went on straight to DVD or one of those terrible cable channels because people yeah. like oh, they had an audience and they didn't even care about them. So I, by being around a lot of those film sets and seeing the thing that you love just butchered and sabotaged and just disrespected, I learned like I learned a lot about who I am as a person, who I am as an artist, how I want to make things, who I want to make them with, what I want to say. And it was very foreign to a, a lot, most things. So while there were some crazy stories and like horrible times, I learned a lot about who I am and what I want to do. And I just, the way you treat people is just so important and who you invite into the process. And not everyone loves it. Let's like filmmaking's in it brings a lot of people from all walks of life and people get into it for their own different reasons. Um, you know, the diehard, the real indie, indie filmmakers that crave story and try and make a difference, you know, going by the way of the dinosaur, you know, these, these films are very, very hard to get up now and people love them when they see them, but the modern world is making it very hard for them to, to survive. And it takes people and crowdfunding and all these forums to keep, um, the real artists, you know, and real films alive. Thank you for that. And I love that you said that was the redacted version. I can only imagine <laughs> the non-redacted version. Wow, yes. So that was, I didn't even get to my Michael Madsen stories yet. So, so we'll leave that one for, uh, for the next one. <laughs> what I do want to say, because you were mentioning, we, this is all about um, crowdfunding. And I just wanted to quickly focus on the $5,000 silver business support ticket item on the crowdfunding campaign. Anyone who does get into that, this is a thank you credit in the film, two tickets to the local premiere, product placement in the film, access to the behind the scenes stills to push out across your social platforms, have your brand promoted via the official Christmas social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Insta, and 30-minute publicity visit from a lead actor of your choice to your business so this is also on the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, so to our listening community, if this reaches the speakers into your offices, head over to your director or GM of marketing and advertising and let them know what's on offer. And if they or you have any questions for Heath or suggestions and comments for the show, then please write into Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, one word, at gmail.com. Um, and Heath, for the final question, what would today's journal entry be for you? Oh, today's journal entry very interesting because I actually posted something about um, I posted something about it today and it's it's created some controversy on the social media platforms. Um, I was, when you're making a film, you encounter lots of interesting folks on a daily basis, and today um, I encountered a person who's like, "I really love your project, um, but why are you making a film without movie stars? No one cares about films unless there's movie stars in them." Um, this is kind of significant player in in the mm. in the film biz in Australia and right. yeah and I just was kind of stumped by that question and I was like well what's mm. the point in breathing you know so um the, obviously the conversation was sort of short-lived but 
I'm just sort of grateful for the people I got around me and who I am and the stories that we tell and the supporters that we have so far um, from crowdfunders to people that who, who wish they could crowdfund but they can't and people who watch the movies, people who are sharing the story, the actors and my crew members and you guys are listening now that actually care um, you know, about the indie spirit and telling stories that are important and meaningful um, and whether that's a film or any kind of art. So that that would be my diary entries. Just as, you know, there's a lot of naysayers and Grinches and we've become a celebrity-obsessed culture, but, um, you know, there's still artists out there that are doing their thing and it's getting harder and harder, but, but I think there's still enough goodwill people that care. So... That's my diary entry for today. Thank you very much for that, Heath, and your candidness. Please join me next week where in Christmas cracker-like fashion, we split open that over-decorated dunny roll, don the paper crowns. I'll bring the usual bad puns while Heath brings the goodies on the crowdfunding campaign, a chat about the middle kids, Hannah Joy, and the music for Christmas. Thank you once again for your time, Heath. I truly appreciate this and everyone else listening. Thank you, my friend. Have a good night, and until next time. Jingle bells. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film. Subscribe to hear all future episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. For more info, please visit Diary of a Crowdfunded Film on Facebook.